Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.scbts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Well, good morning. I bring you greetings from those who will soon be joining you just as soon as we have graduation. Uh, Many of them will be coming here. Your current students who were our students are a good advertisement for you, and they are working aggressively uh, to get folks up this way, and I could not be happier uh, for that to happen. We just came up from our Florida Baptist Convention meeting, and God blessed there, and we had a Had a great time together. Our convention is currently uh, looking for a new executive director treasurer after 26 years. Dr. John Sullivan has served there. And so it's a different time. Most folks have never seen this process going on. And so you pray for us in, in that time. But God is blessing at your sister institution, the Baptist College of Florida. This morning I want to speak to you on a topic out of water. I thought that might sound a little better than my real topic, which is the church is leaking. I'd invite you to join me, if you will, in reading from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentst after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. 
I live in a part of the country where water wars are not a projection of the future. They are a reality among us. Our school is located exactly where Georgia, Florida, and Alabama all connect in that one little spot. It is right beside the Chattahoochee River, and the Chattahoochee River is a source of ongoing controversy between those three states. Florida and Alabama charge that Atlanta is using an undue amount of the water out of the source and that we who are downstream do not get enough to sustain our life as we would like for it to be. The folks in Atlanta respond graciously, that's tough. We're here first. And so the fact is lawsuits go on uh, sort of in an unabated way, and they come from time to time. We're also living in a time where water wars are being fought in our state because the great population centers of the southern part of the state are always wanting to channel the water out of the springs in the upper part of the state. And so when folks stand and say the day will come when wars will be fought over water, they are reading our mail in a current situation. But you know there are other places that are hurting. We read about the droughts in California, the droughts in other parts of our land, where whole communities are dying because the water table has gone down by many, many feet. And signs are being hung up, closed, out of water. Closed because there is no water left to sustain life and to bring the blessings as we have known them. You know, that's a sad thing for a city municipal situation. That's a sad thing for an individual, for a farmer, for a rancher. But let me say to you this morning, it's a far worse situation for a church. It is a far worse situation when our congregations and our fellowships come to the point that we could well hang a sign on the door which says, closed, out of water. The water is no longer flowing. The life-sustaining power is no longer evident. The refreshment from the hurt and the heartache of a sinful world is no longer readily available in this fellowship. We're out of water, and so we've closed the doors. And you know, it makes absolute sense for someone in a drought situation to choose to do anything that they possibly can to get water. It makes absolutely no sense in a drought situation for individuals to choose to refuse water. And yet, that is what God is saying in this courtroom setting about His people Israel. He has recounted His blessings. He has recounted His walk with them. He has recounted the time in this journey in which they walked so closely and were so dependent. And yet, they have now come to that time in which they have benefited from and exalted in the presence of the Lord for so long, they have decided they can do it on their own. And they have rejected the water. How often do we find ourselves trying to do church on our own? How often do we find ourselves 
trying to be brilliant in our own brilliance, trying to be strong in our own strength, trying to be erudite in our own study and scholarship, only to find that the water is gone. The walk with our Lord is not what it once was. That which flowed so freely is a mere trickle, if evident at all, in our lives as the leaders who have been called by God. You know, we make that choice. You've made many choices to get to this point. You chose at one time to receive that which Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary's cross. You chose to accept his free offer of salvation. You chose to follow him at a call and commitment upon your life. You chose to get further training to follow that call. You chose a seminary. And might I say, you chose well. I commend you for your choice of a seminary. My son chose to be here for his MDiv and his Ph.D., and thank God he got out. But, you know, the fact is, it's a wise choice to be here. Some of you have chosen a mate along the way. Some of you have chosen one already, but they have not been brilliant enough to realize what a catch you are. And they will one day, so keep it up and keep the faith. But the fact is, our life is a process of making choices. Some are incidental. Some last only for a moment. But the most important lasts for eternity. You got up this morning and you chose what to wear. You got to what I call the point of decision on our campus. It is that intersection of three different sidewalks one of which goes over to the place where you can get coffee and hang out. The other goes to the parking lot where you can go to Hardy's and hang out. And the other goes to chapel. And at that point of decision, many people, I'll stand there sometimes and say, all right, what will it be? Some begrudgingly go to chapel then, but I'm not sure if they cut out after I turn. But the way is, you made a choice to be in chapel today. But let me ask you this. Who will be your God today? You say, oh, but I've made that choice long ago. Let me tell you about what I did. And yes, you did. But who will be your God in the pragmatic decisions that you make about how you will live your life today? Who will be your God when you see that person on the street who is hurting and you're too busy trying to get to class or to your church where you have a place of service? Who will be your God when it seems that there is a way that you can cut corners and get by and no one will know except you? Who will be your God then? Israel had the opportunity to choose other gods in the land where they found themselves. And you and I live in a land where many small g gods are crying out for our allegiance. They're crying out for our attention. They're crying out for us to simply accept them along the way. Israel's choices were gods of the land in which they dwelt or the God who had brought them out of captivity. Ours is no less 
today. For he has brought us out of the bondage of sin. He has brought us to new life. He has not cleaned us off and given us a coat of whitewash. He has made us new. Now, you know, I I told our convention earlier this week, I may be a lot of things, but an ingrate is not one of them. How in the world can we walk away from one who has given us new life? How can we carry the name in one hand and hold on to the world with the other? God gave the picture of a fountain. He said, you're in a dry and parched land, and you have left the fountain of living water. I remember my brother living in West Virginia when I had the privilege of serving there, and Locust Creek came through his farm. Locust Creek came out of the bottom of Droop Mountain, which was the site of a great battle during the Civil War. I remember looking at that and seeing the beauty of the water and the fish in it. And he said one day, do you want to take a walk and I'll show you something even more beautiful? I said, sure, that'd be wonderful. And so we walked across the pasture and we walked down a little path and I began to hear a rumbling and a roar. We went around a curve and I began to see a mist in the air. And finally we continued along that circumference there And there it was. Coming out of the mountain were three huge, almost geyser-like formations. Water just shooting out of the mountain. As Jeremiah is called one who was hurled onto the scene of life, that water was being hurled out of the mountain. Nobody knows how deep it is back in the mountain. But what we do know is, That it comes out of that mountain and it sustains life and it flows through Locust Creek and Locust Creek flows into the Greenbrier River and the Greenbrier River flows into the western prong of the Potomac and the Potomac flows through our nation's capital by the seats of power. And all who would grasp for power and success and become molders of a world order often never see the power of the river, at least a part of which came gushing out of a mountainside in West Virginia. God said, you have this power. You have this fountain available. It is a very source of life. It is sufficient. Let me say to you this morning, we seem to be looking for sufficiency and looking for love in all the wrong places. We seem to be looking for acceptance. And we have somehow walked away from the fountain. And there we find satisfaction in that fountain. And yet our Lord said, you have walked away. You have left it. You have denied me. And you have chosen substitutes. You have chosen to have that which you can build, that which you can design, that which you can manipulate, and that which you can control. And how many of us are very proficient at building cisterns as opposed to going to the fountain? 
I remember growing up on my grandfather's farm in South Georgia, and we had a cistern. We had a well right off the back porch, and right where that L-shaped farmhouse came together and the water poured off of the roof, we had a cistern. And it caught the water when the rains did come. Now that cistern often had water in it, but I remember we always went to the well for drinking water. We went to the cistern for water to wash clothes and water to do all of the other things, but we never went there for drinking water because it was always polluted to one extent or another. It would have leaves in it. It would have some kind of funny green stuff growing in it sometimes. It would have an occasional family of frogs or a misfortunate squirrel or something of that nature. It was always polluted to one degree or another. We never drank out of the cistern. But droughts came. And when droughts came, the cistern always went dry. And it sprung a leak at the most inopportune times. The cistern would go dry. We would continue to pull all the water we could out of that dug well. It was not a board well. It was a hand-dug square well that had a bucket and a chain. And that's how we got the water out of it. And after a while, that well went dry. And my family knew what it meant to be out of water. You know what we did then? We got all the buckets we could find all of the jars and other containers that we could come across. Everybody got all that they could carry. And we went down that dusty little road in front of my grandfather's house. And from that dusty little road, we crossed the larger road, climbed up the ditch bank, over the fence, through the field, to a little stand of trees down the hill in the middle of the field. We went into that stand of trees, pulled back the brush, went to a particular place, brushed back the leaves, and there was an old rugged wooden door. It looked like just a piece of wood lying on top of a stone. But we would open that door, and there, just below all of the brush, all of the leaves, and that heavy old door was a spring. A beautiful, bubbling, flowing source of the coldest, sweetest water you have ever tasted. Immediately, we were all right down there at it, had our heads in it, drinking from the walk, and then filling up all of the containers and trudging back along that journey to the house. Now, thank God the fountain never went dry. Thank God it was always there. But my friend, let me tell you today, I wondered even as a small child, why do we wait why do we wait until the cistern goes dry and the well goes dry 
when the best water that we ever have is always here? Let me ask you today, what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for when our churches are leaking? What are we waiting for when our denomination gets embroiled in so much stuff that we lose sight of the great commission and the great commandment of our Lord? We simply must choose. Israel had to choose. And we think Israel was not very smart, were they? They had a choice of the fountain, but they chose leaking cisterns. But were they any different than we? I think not. I think today we have some choices. You have some choices individually. You have some choices in your church. Will you choose pride as your God? Will you choose popularity? Will you choose beauty or power or self-righteousness? Will you choose that which you can hold in your hand? For let me tell you what, anything that you can build, buy, mold, or manipulate will rust away, rot away, or get too little before you get through with it. Not only do you need to make some choices, we in Southern Baptist life must make some choices. And we in Southern Baptist higher education must choose. We are being encroached upon in unfettered fashion by all of the forces, both from government and all of the other areas around us. I have spent the last six months dealing with more attorneys, just about, than I have pastors, dealing with more potential lawsuits than opportunities to evangelize, dealing with whether or not we will be strangled, not from a frontal assault, but from those who would come in from the flanks and nibble away at our very foundation. Houston is not an isolated incident. We are currently fighting those battles. But what choices must we make as Baptists, as Southern Baptists in Christian higher education? Where theory is taught as truth and truth is derided as a fairy tale, we must stand on the truth, the veracity, the sufficiency of Scripture as the very Word of God, inerrant and unalterable. We must make our stand. You say, well, a generation before us did that. No generation before you can make your choices for you today. And if we don't make them fresh and new in our seminaries and colleges and universities, we will see not a slide, but a catastrophic falling off the cliff in the future. We must make the choice as to whether or not we will dilute the moral, ethical standards which have made us the people of the powerful effect that we have had in the culture in which we live. 
Folks, we simply must walk the walk. Society does not care if we can talk the talk. They can turn off the volume. They can mute us on their receptors. But when we walk the walk in an undiluted fashion of portraying the love of Christ in our institutions of higher education and through our graduates, we simply cannot be ignored. They may disagree with us, they may defame us, but they cannot ignore who we are and that for which we stand. I am so tired of Baptist asking not how close to the Lord can I walk, but how close to the world can I dabble and still get by. I have been somewhat beaten up by a few folks recently by some stands that I've taken on some moral issues. And some of my friends have said, doesn't it bother you that people say bad things about you? What do you think of that? I said, I think they don't know me as well as I know me. If they did, they'd probably say worse. But the fact is... We simply dare not water down our moral high ground. Another decision we must make in a world where expediency has been substituted for excellence, we must say and practice good enough is never good enough. Getting by in seminary is not good enough. Getting by in your church is not good enough. Doing the least and expecting it to touch the most will never work. We dare not choose the God of expediency over excellence. Another decision we must make is in a world where Christian worldview is equated with narrow-minded bigotry. We must hold a Christian worldview that is as wide and deep as the very heart of God. The love of God in Christ Jesus and an active Christian worldview within our institutions and our individuals is not a hate crime, but a love declaration. It is for whosoever will. We dare not be trapped into silence by being accused of being hate mongers for the Great Commission and the Great Commandment is built on the love of God carried out through the love of His people. We must choose which God we will serve in the society today where society equates conservative Christianity with second-rate scholarship. We must boldly, proudly say and show that the sharpest minds are resident in the same bodies that have the hottest hearts for missions and evangelism. We dare not choose respectability among the intelligentsia for no effectiveness among the evangelistic. Now, you might think, doesn't he make his living? 
as head of an educational institution, you better believe it. But I will tell you this. To be able to strut our intelligence like a peacock will never substitute for sharing our service like a bond slave. We simply must learn all that we can, not just to know all that we can, but we must learn all that we can in order to serve with every ounce of energy and vitality that God has placed within us. Friends, the church is leaking. And many of the churches are leaking because the pulpit has become porous. We dare not equivocate on the truth of the gospel. We dare not dally with the choices that must be made. We dare not let the church of Jesus Christ in this great land that God has given us come to the point that we are in danger in a dry and thirsty land of hanging out a sign that says, closed, out of water. How foolish when the fountain flows so freely, when the blood that flowed from Calvary's cross is still sufficient. When the God who reached out in love and creation and redemption has not changed his mind. When the one who desires that none should perish, but that all should come to salvation, still looks out with compassion on his creation. We're not out of water. I remember growing up, when my grandfather had that farm, my dad got a job on a plantation in South Georgia. And in drought times, we irrigated. We had a pop-up irrigation system. Every time Pop said so, we put it up. My brother and I would have to carry pipe, quarter mile of pipe, put it together, put those 10 foot tall stands up, turn them, set the legs, get it ready. And then after we were hot and tired and dirty from all of that, we came to the end of the line and somebody had to go back to turn on the water. My brother was older, my brother was stronger, my brother was really a mean young man. He's now a retired Baptist preacher and hadn't changed that much. But the fact is, I walked back to turn on the water. And when I went back, I got to that connection 
And I began to turn that handle. And when I turned that handle, I was sweating profusely and the dirt was running down. And I remember hearing the water start to run. And as I heard the water cascading through the pressure of that pipe, I then began to see as the moisture built up on that pipe, that hot pipe with that cold water running through it, the moisture began to build up. And finally the droplets became so laden that they began to run down and it looked like a spider web on that pipe. And I knew where that water was going. It was going toward the other end where my brother was. And if you know anything about building up water pressure, you know that you have to let all of the water go all the way through the system. If you plug it too soon, air pockets will build up and the system won't work. So that water had to go all the way out. And I knew he was down there with that end plug in his hand. And I knew what was going to happen. I knew that when the water shot out, He was not going to diligently stay down there because he was sweaty and he was dirty and he was thirsty. I knew that he would not automatically put that plug in the end of the line. I knew exactly what that rascal was going to do. He was going to get down at the end of that pipe and when that water came out, he was going to place himself in front of it and go, he was going to get all of the water and let it just bathe him. And I remember standing right there saying these words as clearly as if it happened yesterday. Well, ain't that just the story of my life? All I ever get to do is tote pipe and turn on water. Thank you, God. Thank you that you have given me the opportunity and called me to that opportunity to tote pipe and turn on water. The land is thirsty. The land is dry. The people are hurting. They desperately need the water. The water is there for the sake of God and the sake of His people. We're not out of water. The church can stop leaking. Brothers and sisters, grab the pipe Grab the handle. Let's set up whatever mechanism is necessary to go to the uttermost that the water might flow, that the people might hear, and that the righteousness of God will flow like a river. Heavenly Father, bless your people. Thank you for this very special place where they receive training that will enable them to go to the uttermost. Whether the uttermost for them is across the street, across the state, across the nation, or around the world. Dear God, bless those who teach, bless those who administer, bless those who learn, bless those who serve in the unseen areas. Where they think today, all I'm doing is toting pipe and turning on water. Oh dear God, let them know that it's your water, it's your pipeline, and thank you for being that instrument that you will use.
Lord, we pray your greatest blessings as we go out today and choose who or what will be our God. Oh, Heavenly Father, remind us, hold us close, that we might reach out in your name. For it's in that precious name of our Savior Jesus that we pray. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.